What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is not your average Boston sports podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow the podcast on our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on both of those platforms. Uh, like, following, comment, review, whatever uh, whatever you guys want to do. But um, appreciate any type of uh, any type of comments, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. So um, before we get going this week, I would like to uh, extend a thank you to my uh, older brother Tyler, who came on uh, I guess Friday last week as we kind of did a uh, final wrap up of the uh, Celtics season. Um, so it was a fun conversation. You can go check it out if you have not already. Um, this week on Guest Friday, we'll be uh, talking to another returning guest, uh, Eric Bellier, who's been a uh, friend of the pod for, for a couple years. Um, and so uh, Eric has recently been doing uh, play-by-play for a minor league baseball team. So we'll be talking all about that later this week on Guest Friday. So you can look forward to that. Um so I think we're going to get into it for this week's uh, podcast. We're going to start with uh, the Red Sox. And uh, it's been uh, quite the turnaround for this team over the last couple months, uh, 32 and 12 over their last 44, seven straight wins, 11 out of 13. You know, everything seems to be uh, going right for this team um, at the perfect moment. And, um, you know, thanks to this hot stretch, thanks to, <clears throat> Toronto dropping some games. The Red Sox are uh, a game and a half ahead of Toronto and Tampa Bay. Red Sox are uh, firmly entrenched in second place in the American League East. Still 11 games behind the Yankees. It's you know kind of comical that the Red Sox have played you know tremendous baseball over the last few weeks and have not made any headway on first place in the American League East. You know the Yankees are playing at just a ridiculous clip right now. Um, <clears throat> but the good news is the Red Sox are in second place, 42 and 31, 11 games over 500. Um, and I think have firmly put that bad start kind of in the, in the rear view, you know, here they are, at, you know, standing toward the end of June, you know, approaching the all-star break and approaching the trade deadline, you know, that's going to be here quicker than we think. You know, they're approaching these big milestones of the seasons in really good shape. You know, I think that obviously with any team is that they approach the trade deadline and are in, you know, somewhat decent standing. You definitely want to add at the trade deadline. I think the Red Sox have put themselves in a position where they definitely want to add, you know, and definitely want to continue to kind of keep the good times going with this team. Now, look. Red Sox are not always going to play this well. You know, they probably are going to go through a, a tough stretch, but I think putting that kind of bad start behind them has really been it's been huge over the last couple of weeks. You know, as I said, 32-12, and 12, um, you know, seven straight wins, winning a couple series recently against some good teams, Cardinals, and then this weekend against Cleveland. You know, obviously the majority of this stretch has been against teams that uh you know, aren't very good. The Red Sox have played a couple series against, you know, teams like Oakland, teams like Seattle, you know, teams that are not exactly, you know, the best teams in Major League Baseball. You know, the Red Sox still don't have a great record against the American League East. 
And it is kind of ironic that we talk about that, considering that the uh, next three-game set for the Red Sox is um, in Toronto against the Blue Jays, against a team that the Red Sox have uh, had some issues with in the last couple of years. And I don't know, there's something about Toronto that, uh, you know, all of a sudden is a tough place to play. You know, that's a team that obviously, you know what they can do offensively, you know what they can do pitching. Um, but they just seem to play so much better um, at home. You know, you have some guys who have, you know, the capabilities of hitting baseballs four or 500 feet um, with guys like uh, Guerrero. So I think for this series, you know, the pitching is really going to be important. Um, and it's really going to, it might tell you a lot, you know, especially considering how well this team has played recently. You know, is this going to tell you a lot? about how far this team really has come with this series and then obviously with 14 games coming up against Tampa Bay and the Yankees you know that will really tell you kind of where this team truly is at you know the Red Sox only other series in the next couple of weeks um, is a three-game set this weekend against the Cubs but other than that you know it's Toronto for three and then you have alternating series against Tampa Bay and the Yankees so obviously that will be, this series will definitely be something to monitor for the Red Sox. Um, obviously tonight, Connor Seabald, I believe, is making his um, starting debut for the Red Sox um, in Toronto. As the Red Sox obviously still dealing with some injuries in the rotation, but he is scheduled to go um, tonight at 7.07, all three games um, at 7.07, tonight, tomorrow, and then Wednesday. And then the Red Sox will have, I believe, will have an off day after this three-game set. And then we'll travel to uh, Chicago to take on the Cubs. Cubs are uh, not a very good team. So hopefully the Red Sox can take advantage of that before they have the, you know, murders row of 14 straight against uh, Tampa Bay and the Yankees. But this hot start definite, or this hot stretch um, has been really impressive. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. One of the funny parts about kind of the beginning of the season is that the Red Sox pitching was arguably keeping them in games. You know, the starting pitching was one of the stronger points of the team during their bad start, you know, and it was not really something that people were worried about. You know, it was the offense that really was kind of lacking. Um, and the starters were kind of keeping this team afloat and keeping them in contention, if you even want to say that, you know, not letting this team get, you know, in a spot where they were a lot worse than where they were, you know, 10 and 19, 14 and 22 was really the worst that it ever got. But I think you had the starting pitching that was good enough to keep you afloat. But now it almost seems like the starting pitching is now is even better since that point, you know, which is kind of ridiculous considering the good starts that they were getting from, you know, Ivaldi and Waka and, you know, Rich Hill at the beginning of the year. And now that pitching is seemingly better. Um, and it seems like over the last couple of weeks without Ivaldi and without Whitlock, this rotation's been really, really solid. You know, Pavetta has been unbelievable. I mean, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over his last 10 or 11 starts. You know, an ERA that's about two over his last, I think, 10 or 11 starts. Um, you have Michael Walker, who's piling up wins. 
and has pitched really solidly. You know, Rich Hill, I think, for what he is, I think that he's pitched pretty, pretty well at times. You know, he pitched really well yesterday, only giving up a run um, in six innings. So I think you have those guys who are giving you solid innings. You have Josh Winkowski, who's pitched really well when he's been called upon. Um, be curious to see what Connor Seabolt can do tonight. Um, he was brought over in the Pavetta trade a couple of years ago uh, from Philly. I think that he's pitched, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's pitched some games for the Red Sox, but I don't believe he's started. Um, if I am mistaken, this might be his major league debut tonight, so um, that will be interesting. But I think you've been able to get really solid pitching from this rotation, even when guys have been out you know, right now. So I think... The biggest thing for me, you know, as, and as I mentioned, the trade deadline, the biggest thing for me is that you're getting really solid pitching while guys are out, and it leads me to believe that once guys come back healthy, you get Evaldi back, you get Whitlock back in whatever role he's going to be in, and then you get Sale back, who, you know, Chris Sale's kind of closer to returning than uh, what it was maybe a couple of weeks ago. I think he's scheduled to pitch against or scheduled to pitch for uh, Portland this week. Um, so, you know, I think he might be a couple of weeks away. I mean, it might be wishful thinking that he's back before the All-Star break, but, you know, if you think about the rotation, how it's pitching right now, you get Evaldi back, you maybe get Sale back at the end of July. You know, this is a rotation that shapes up really, really well, and I think could lead you to a spot where maybe you don't necessarily need to trade for a starting pitcher at the trade deadline. You know, I think if you think about Sale, you think about Evaldi, Pavetta, Waka, Rich Hill, you know, and then guys like Winkowski or, you know, Cutter Crawford, who's given you starts here and there, or even Seabold, you know, if he pitches well. Uh, that's a lot of options that you have as starting pitchers, and I think it could lead you to believe that maybe it's relief pitching that, you need to focus more on, and I think you do, even, doesn't even matter whether you want to get a starting pitcher or not. I mean, I think that the bullpen is something that they need to address. They need to address someone who can be solid and consistent enough, you know, in those late innings. You know, we've seen Tanner Houck, he's pitched well in the closing role, but I think you probably want to have another arm or two in the late innings. You can nail down some, some leads. The Red Sox have had some issues holding leads recently you know it's not it's not led to any losses recently you know thank goodness but I think it's worrisome you know both of the games against the Cardinals last weekend you had two games where it's six to one in the ninth inning and you know it's six to five or six to four before you know it and it's like okay they really need to find some consistency there um, and it's good that Hauk has pitched well in that closing role but you know it's a little frustrating that you're not going to have him available in Toronto in a pretty big series. Um, but again, you know, I think that I've said as much as I'm going to say about, you know, getting vaccinated or not vaccinated. You know, I think I've made that pretty clear that I really don't want to be talking about it again. But it's like, you know, you're you're in a position where you're making a really big impact for a team and you're going to take yourself out of the series because of a personal decision. And I just think that's that's just kind of weak to me. Um, but that's really all I'm going to say about it. But, you know, I think just getting back to the starters, 
they've been, you know, one of the best starting groups in baseball, you know, even without some guys being in and out of the rotation. So I think that's been something to feel really positive about. And it's not just the pitching that's been excellent recently. The offense has really come to play, um, especially in this series against Cleveland. Um, Alex Verdugo had a number of big hits. Christian Vasquez, um, you know, Trevor Story is still driving in runs, although I think the batting average is still not where we'd like to see it, but I think still driving in runs and still being kind of a key part of the offense um, has made this team really dangerous. You know, you have the top guys who are going to do what they always do, but I think, you know, getting contributions from Verdugo and Story and Vasquez and Jaron Duran, who's been excellent um, since coming up from Worcester, you know, not to not to harp on it again, but he's another guy that's not going to be available in Toronto, and that's kind of a shame because he's been one of the Red Sox' most exciting players over the last couple of weeks. You know, I said this last week, he really, truly does remind me of Jacoby Ellsbury, just the speed, the athleticism, the, you know, the Red Sox over the last couple of years have not been a team that attempts steals. They just, like, it's almost like they don't believe in stealing bases, and, you know, Duran's out there trying to steal paces over the weekend. So, you know, he's a guy that just gives them so much of an added element with his speed. Um, and he's honestly not a terrible defender. He's certainly not, you know, JBJ out there in center field, but, you know, who is? Um, but I think he's just been so exciting and such a good lift uh, to this offense. So it's great that you've been able to see offensive production from not just, you know, Devers, Bogarts, and Martinez, the guys that you expect, um, but I think being able to have an offense that's able to get hits or all around the lineup and getting hits with runners in scoring position, getting hits at big moments. You know, you saw it with Verdugo's home run the other night, you know, big spot with a three-run home run to give the Red Sox the lead on Saturday night. You know, I think really at the end of the day, you want an offense that's going to be able to hit home runs and, you know, drive in runs, get extra base hits. But I think the biggest thing is timely hitting, getting hits when you need it. You know, that's really a mark of a really good baseball team when you can get hits with runners in scoring position. You can drive in runs. You can, you know, play against a solid team and be able to come up with big hits and big spots. So that was a really great thing to see this weekend, especially. But I think they got to keep it going. You know, I think that uh, as much as it's been great to see the Red Sox playing well, 32 and 12 in their last 44. You got to do it against good teams. And I think that that, you know, really is going to start tonight. This is really going to start a big stretch of games against of good opponents and good opponents that you are going to be battling the rest of the season and a division, you know, playing a lot of division teams, a division that you've not really played well against this season, unfortunately. You know, that's kind of the that's kind of the rub here is the Red Sox have played excellent, but they've not played excellent against the division. Um, if you look at their division record, it's, you know, seven and 14. That's the worst division record. Um, you know, it's an equal division record to the Detroit Tigers in the AL Central. Um, and that division is arguably worse. So, but I think, you know, seven and 14 against the East, that's got to improve. Um, and that's got to improve if you want to be a playoff team at the end of the day. So it's a big, big stretch coming up for the Red Sox. But I think based on the way they've been playing, it's uh, 
hard not to feel pretty confident about their ability um, to win games and win games on the road and, you know, win games when you're behind late in games. So, you know, as I said, three games set in Toronto starting tonight. Got Seabald making his starting debut tonight, at least, I think. Um, Michael Waka will go Tuesday night and then Nick Pavetta on Wednesday. And then the Red Sox will have a three-game set against the Chicago Cubs. And then the big stretch against Tampa and the Yankees starts uh, 4th of July with an afternoon game against the Tampa Bay Rays. So I think that that will probably do it for the Red Sox. It's, you know, <laughs> it's that time of year where um, the Red Sox are probably going to be leading a lot of these podcasts with uh, everyone else kind of in uh, off-season mode. You know, obviously the Patriots are, are close to starting their season, at least relatively. The Revolution, obviously, are, are in the middle of their season. We'll talk about them uh, later. But yes, it is that time of year where it's kind of a uh, a slow summer, where uh, baseball is kind of the only thing that's making uh, big waves in Boston, at least. Um, a team that uh, has a uh, interesting future and an interesting offseason ahead is the uh, Boston Bruins. Um, although they did get some good news, it seems, over the last couple of days. Uh, Joe McDonald reporting that Patrice Bergeron is uh, intending to return for uh, the upcoming season, um, is intending to sign a one-year deal with the Bruins. Now, that's just reported from Joe McDonald, who writes for the uh, Worcester Telegram and Gazette, um, reported that a couple, I think it was last week, uh, that Bergeron does intend to return to sign a one-year deal, and he is uh, planning to meet with Don Sweeney this week, presumably to go over um, contract numbers and figure that out. So um, obviously it's great news, uh, according to Joe, that Patrice uh, does want to come back. I think that, I think I said that from pretty much from the jump that I didn't expect that he was going to retire. I didn't expect that he was going to walk away. You know, I think that he's a player that if he wants to play, he wants to play. And I think that, you know, sure, there's definitely some, maybe some concern about kind of the future of the team, you know, without a head coach and kind of not really sure where they're going. But I think at the end of the day, the coach doesn't matter to Patrice, you know, the situation with the team doesn't matter. You know, I think that, if he wants to play, he wants to play, and that's why he's back. And I think maybe he also feels that he doesn't want to necessarily leave the organization high and dry. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that in a negative way, um, but I do think that like he does probably recognize the situation that they're in, and like they could, you know, use him for another season or two. But I don't think that it's like the team is forcing him to come back or you know lobbying him to be like, please come back. Um, I just think at the end of the day, he wants to play, and that's really what the, the difference is. Um, you know, obviously his return does, you know, complicate things a little bit because I think, I think if he didn't return, there probably would be more of a reason to kind of rebuild or retool, so to speak, um, and be okay with maybe not being a great team for the next couple of years and trying to rebuild kind of the pipeline but I think you know his return I think does make it clear that 
okay, this team probably still believes that they can compete for a championship. I mean, I think that clearly there's a lot of work to be done if they want to get there. Um, there's a lot of contracts that need to be moved, you know, if they want to get more cap space and be able to, you know, sign or bring in some, some more top talent. Um, but I think his return does tell you that, okay, the Bruins are willing at least for one more season to try to see if they can run it back uh, with this same group. Now, you know, I'd be curious to see if this does affect David Krejci's potential availability, you know, if he wants to return to the Bruins, you know. I think that I wouldn't be surprised either way. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't want to return and just wants to continue to be with family and, you know, that he's done playing. But I also wouldn't be surprised because I think, you know, and not to say that he ever had an issue with Bruce Cassidy, but I do think that maybe getting a new coach in there might affect his decision a little bit. Um, and clearly he still has something left. You know, if you saw any highlights of him playing playing in the in the Czech League this year, he clearly still has it. You know, he clearly can still play at a high level. So I'd be interested to see if that happens. Um, but I do think that this could tell, or this could give away some of their plans that, okay, maybe they really are going to try to, you know, go all in and try to see if they can clear out some salary, go pay a Nazem Kadri or a Claude Giroux or someone like that, you know, and really try to run it back with this group. I mean, I think that that's kind of their only option at this point. You know, I think Bergeron coming back, you're obviously still going to try to compete. So I think that's what it tells me, that I think the Bruins are going to be more likely to try to see if they can make some moves to improve the team. You know, I still think that there is a way that you can trade some guys, recoup some assets, and be able to compete. I think that, you know, if you move a Jacob Rusk or a Connor Clifton or a Mike Riley and you get some draft picks, maybe recoup some of the picks that you lost at the trade deadline with the uh, Lindholm trade, maybe you'd be better positioned in the future to draft some top talent, you know, kind of restock the pipeline so to speak I mean obviously that's a huge if because I don't necessarily have all the confidence in the world in this upper management's ability to draft well because you know obviously they've had some draft issues I mean I will say though the last two years it seems like they've done a better job bringing in some you know top talented guys you know that's at least the thought process you know it could be different once they get to the NHL, but I think bringing in some or drafting someone like a Fabian Lysel, you know, clearly he's a really talented kid. Um, and I think a lot of people think that he could be really good at the NHL level. So, you know, hopefully that's the way they kind of do it. But it's like, not only do you have to move out salary to, you know, maybe sign some free agents, but hopefully you can move out some guys to get some draft picks back and you can kind of retool and compete at the same time. I mean, I think that's really the only option that this team has at the moment. Really, they can't do anything else. Uh, but then I think, obviously, the next biggest thing after figuring out Patrice's contract and, you know, assume that he returns, is figuring out who's going to be the head coach of this team. Um, the Bruins interviewed both Jay Leach and David Quinn last week. I believe that they are scheduled for more interviews this week. So I think 
you know, hopefully the organization can make a decision by the end of the week, you would think. You know, I think that obviously David Quinn and Jay Leach are kind of their top candidates at the moment. I believe, though, that they still were going to interview Joe Sacco, Jim Montgomery, and I want to say Spencer Carberry, but I'm not sure. So I think, obviously, they'll probably do the rest of those interviews and then make a decision. You know, hopefully it would be by this point. You know, the draft is coming up quick. You know, the Stanley Cup Finals obviously wrapped up last night. We'll talk more about that. But, you know, now they're kind of on the clock. It's, you know... I think less than 10 days until the draft. So they kind of probably need to get a coach in there before that happens. Um, you know, obviously there was, I think, a rumor yesterday also reported by Joe McDonald that David Quinn had a meeting with ownership. Now, you know, that to me tells me that he probably is the front runner for this job that, you know, Joe McDonald also said that that he knows there wasn't another candidate that's met with ownership. So that kind of surprised me, to be perfectly honest. Like, I didn't think ownership really cared that much. Um, but I think maybe that does tell you that David Quinn might be the next guy, which is certainly a, a divisive topic um, on Bruins Twitter over the last couple of days, you know, which I guess rightfully so based on his performance or lack of performance with the Rangers, you know, not taking that team to the playoffs despite some talented pieces. But, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't really think that, that those Ranger teams that he coached were necessarily good enough to be playoff teams, you know, and I don't really know if it really is coaching that held those teams back necessarily. I mean, yeah, you could say that, okay, they hired Gerard Gallant and look how much better the young guys have played, but it's like, they, they were kind of learning how to play the game. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's, in my opinion, hiring David Quinn is not the necessarily the, the right choice. You know, I wouldn't hire him. You know, I think that if I'm picking kind of the top three candidates that I would hire, Jay Leach probably is at the top, and then Jim Montgomery, and then Spencer Carberry. I mean, I think I would want to bring in a younger coach someone that can relate to some of the younger guys and maybe someone that hasn't had NHL coaching experience. Um, just that you can get someone in with some fresh ideas because I think, you know, not only does this team need some better, need some better talent, but I think they also need some fresh ideas to kind of liven up the power play, liven up what they do on offense. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, whatever coach you're going to hire is not going to be as good of a coach as Bruce Cassidy. And I think we all knew that the moment, since the minute that he got fired that, okay, whoever you hire is not going to be as good as him. And I think, you know, look, is David Quinn the perfect replacement? No, absolutely not. I don't think he's necessarily the worst hire, you know, which is kind of what Bruins Twitter is making it sound like that, you know, this guy sucks and he's awful because who knows? He could find that getting a second opportunity to coach an NHL team, maybe it works out better this time. You know, maybe having a guy who literally coached two of your better players might prove to be a positive. You know, I think that this Bruins team is in a better, is in a better spot than those Ranger teams were that he coached. You know, this is a Bruins team that's 
been through the battles of playoff hockey. You know, they're they're kind of a veteran core group. Who knows? You know, they could respond better to a coach like Quinn. Maybe some of the younger guys respond better to some of his messaging. You know, who knows? Obviously, it's a huge risk, but I think whoever you hire is going to be a huge risk. So I think I'm kind of indifferent if they do end up hiring him because, again, is he the coach that I would hire? No, probably not. But is he the worst hire? No, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that either. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, but I would expect a decision by the end of the week um, because I think you really don't want to be getting close to the draft without a head coach. You know, not that that, not that that necessarily matters all that much. But I think like just from like a bookkeeping perspective, you want to have that lined up before you go into the off season of draft and free agency and all that. Um, it does sound like Don Sweeney's contract will be getting, you know, renewed and restructured or, you know, or he'll get a new contract, whatever it is. I mean, that's something that shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. You know, obviously I think people don't want him back. And like, I'll be honest, I wouldn't want him back either. But the first thing is, Ownership doesn't care. Like, I don't really think ownership cares that much about his performance. I mean, they probably think that his performance is, is fine and they don't see a reason to replace him. But obviously, like, the ownership doesn't really pay attention. So it's like, it shouldn't surprise people that the contract got renewed. You know, it was going to happen. And it's like, honestly, at this point, who else are you going to hire that's going to be marketably better than Sweeney. And I'm not trying to say that Sweeney's a great GM, but I think like at this point, who else is out there that you can hire that you think is going to do like a much better job? You know, at the end of the day, like the bed that the Bruins are in as a franchise is, you know, Sweeney's mess essentially. But it's like, who are you going to bring in that's going to like fix everything? You know, like it's not just going to get better overnight. So... I don't know. I guess I'm not really sure what to say to people that, like, don't like it. You know, I think it's kind of like the only option that they have at the moment. So, uh, obviously, he'll be back. I'm not sure what the contract is. I mean, I think, again, Joe McDonald reporting that um, it's been renewed, but I don't think there's any details about, you know, the, the length of that contract or whatever it is. So, um, we'll get to some... Other Bruins news, the NHL had their uh, awards ceremony, I think, the other night. There were some awards that were given out, MVP to Austin Matthews, um, and things like that were, were awarded. Um, and then there were players that were named to all-star teams. Uh, Charlie McAvoy was named to the all-NHL the all second team, which is basically the NHL's... Um, equivalent of like all pro teams for for football um so good good news for for charlie I and mean, i really think that that's um a great honor for him you know i think this season really he kind of really kind of started to come into his own you know i think he finished fourth or fifth in um voting for the norris trophy and i just think this season in particular, he really just put it all together. 
um, and has really proven that not only is he a really good shutdown defensive defenseman, but he can also be a really outstanding offensive defenseman too. And honestly, I think the Bruins haven't necessarily unlocked all of that even. So I think that's even scarier that he's probably going to get even better over the next couple of seasons. But um, a tremendous honor for him named to the all-star second team, uh, whatever you want to call it. It's kind of confusing a little bit. All NHL second team. Um, and then Jeremy Swayman was also named to the NHL's all-rookie team, um, earning 190 out of a possible 196 votes from the Professional Hockey Writers Association. So he was named the top goalie uh, for that group. So he was really tremendous this season, obviously, too. Um, I think he also finished fifth in the Calder voting uh, for Rookie of the Year, which was won by Moritz Sider from the uh, Detroit Red Wings. So a great honor, great season for Jeremy Swayman. And I think, again, as you mentioned with Charlie McAvoy, Jeremy Swayman's only going to get better, and I think is only going to get better with more playing time. So really tremendous honor for both of them and two guys that I think are really going to be you know, pillars of the Bruins franchise for the next 10 years or whatever, whatever you want to say. So tremendous honor to both of them. So we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics. They have been in the news a little bit recently with the NBA draft taking place last week. The Celtics, with their only draft pick, a second-round pick, 53rd overall, taking J.D. Davison from Alabama. Has uh, played his freshman season, averaging eight points and four rebounds, four assists, shooting 46% from the field, 30% from three, and then 72% from the free-throw line. So really exciting athletic uh Young guard, 6'3", 195. Um, you may have seen some of his highlights on ESPN this season. He's really got some great athleticism. He's able to throw out, throw down some highlight reel dunks. He's also got some great hair, which is pretty exciting. So um, I think it's a pretty solid pick for the Celtics. You know, I think kind of the book on him is obviously tremendously athletic, a pretty solid defender leaves a little bit to be desired with his shooting, but I think hopefully the Celtics can work with him and kind of improve that three-point shooting. Um, You know, I think a lot more of a slasher than a shooter. Um, You kind of think Jalen Brown in terms of a slasher, but I think he's a guy that I think plays with high intensity, um, something that the Celtics like. You know, I think uh, hopefully with some coaching, he can be a solid rotation player in the next couple of years, you know, I think that I do like that the Celtics went and picked a college player as opposed to kind of a draft and stash overseas because I think the European guys are just sometimes really, really hard to figure out that, you know, oftentimes they're really raw and they think it's kind of hard to hard to know what you have with J.D. Davison. I mean, I think obviously he's still a little bit raw as just kind of a guy just has crazy jump out of the gym athleticism. But I think if the Celtics can, you know, hone that and turn him into a solid NBA player, this is going to end up being a solid pick, you know, and look, he's a second round pick, you know, if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. But I think, you know, he'll get to play in summer league, you know, hopefully plays a little bit in the G league and maybe even with the Celtics, um, if they deem him ready. So 
it's it's a potential pick I think here I think they're banking on someone like Davison's potential uh, to be a solid rotation player in the NBA but I think as someone wrote in the Globe a couple of days ago the NBA is kind of turning into a league where potential and untapped potential is kind of the not the most important thing but teams really kind of look at guys like that who maybe don't necessarily have all the tools right now maybe they're kind of flawed players but I think with time they can be really solid players so I think it's a good addition for the Celtics curious to see how he plays in summer league uh, what type of contract he signs if maybe it's a two-way deal um, or if he gets into any games for the Celtics this season so obviously the draft happened and free agency will start uh, later this week I think that the free agency period opens on uh, June 30th at 6 p.m. on Thursday so Definitely pay attention to that when teams can start negotiating with players. Um, and, you know, players can sign contracts, but they won't become um, official until, I think, the 6th of July, so a week later. Um, so I think I was going to take a look at some guys that the Celtics could potentially look at um, in terms of free agents. Uh, Jay King, the Celtics writer on The Athletic, wrote an article about uh, free agent targets the Celtics have a $6.3 million uh, mid-level exception. And they also have minimum contracts that they can offer um, to presumably kind of maybe some older veterans who are looking to try to win. So here are some players um, that Jay King mentioned as to guys that the Celtics could um, offer with that $6.3 million um, exception. So obviously... 6.3 million is not that much money. You're not going to be getting, you know, tremendous players. But here are some guys that he listed. Um, TJ Warren, I think, is an interesting name. He has a guy that, or here's a guy who's had some injury issues over the last couple of years. Um, has had some really good performances. Um, but I think the, the injuries are kind of... kind of make this a little bit challenging... Um, but I think he's a guy who's really talented and, you know, if he's healthy, he could be a huge piece for the Celtics. Uh, Gallinari also is a name that's been brought up, um, you know, a Hawks player that still is able to shoot and still is able to get buckets. And I think honestly, he might not be a bad fit for the Celtics just in terms of being an offensive player. You know, I think obviously has had his defensive, um, has had his defensive limitations, but I think his shooting ability, his scoring ability could be huge for the Celtics. Um, off the bench, Gary Harris was another name. You know, here's a guy that I think you're kind of not really sure what he has because um, he has had a pretty extensive um, injury history. He's a decent shooter, um, is a decent defender. You know, I think that there might, though, be a team that offers him more money um, Otto Porter is another player that uh, J. King mentioned. I mean, I think you saw what he did with the Warriors, a good shooter, a good defender. I mean, I think, honestly, the Celtics just need more guys who can shoot, and if they can play good defense, that's kind of a plus. Um, and so I think, you know, a player like that would make a lot of sense. I think if Victor Oladipo, if potentially he was willing to take a pay cut, that might make some sense. Um, DeLon Wright, who played some games played for the, I think, played for the Hawks last season. Um, 
can still score, you know, he might be an interesting option. Um, so obviously the Celtics are not going to be signing anyone tremendous with their, I mean, they really, the Celtics truly do not have any cap space. They just have, you know, the exceptions and the, you know, minimum contracts that they can offer. So it's really like, they're probably not going to be adding anyone significant, but I do think if they can get someone with skill sets that help the team, I think that that's fine. You know, getting someone who can who can shoot, you know, and preferably that person who can shoot also has the ability to play some defense, be a defensive versatility, uh, or versatile defender. Um, but then I think also just getting another big, um, because I think, you know, Al Horford obviously played tremendous last year, but he will be 36, and I think the Celtics may look to kind of maybe not necessarily give him nights off, but I think have the ability to bring in maybe another defender who can spell him so that he doesn't have to play big minutes and the Celtics can, you know, keep him healthy um, when the player, keep him fresh or more fresh when the playoffs come around. Um, so, you know, someone like a JaVale McGee might be a name that the Celtics could look at um, in free agency just to give them someone who's a, a solid defender and, just can, you know, give Al Horford kind of a little bit of a rest from here, from here to there. So some other players that the Celtics could target with the uh, trade exception that they got after trading um, Fournier to the Knicks last summer, the Celtics have a uh, trade exception of 17 million. So they do have the ability to trade for a player that is making, you know, under that $17 million and be able to bring them onto their roster. Um, so when I said the Celtics don't have cap space, they don't, but they have some of these exceptions that they can bring in players that they could be in theory over the cap as long as they are, you know, within this trade exception. So a couple of guys that the Celtics could target here, um, Duncan Robinson, I think is a name that's been brought up a couple of times, you know, obviously Tyler and I talked about that last week, you know, he does have his defensive limitations. He essentially was... Uh, benched in the playoffs in Miami because of that reason, but we all know what he can do shooting the ball, and I think obviously he does have that kind of does kind of have that local connection. But at the end of the day, the Celtics want guys who are versatile defenders and are good defenders, and he is neither neither of those things. Um, and I also just think. You know, he's a guy that's being paid ninety million dollars for the next couple of years, and it's like. I, I don't think the Celtics want to be bringing on that type of contract. I think especially for a player whose skill set is pretty much just one thing. So I don't know if that would be the right thing to do. But I think looking at some other guys, Jordan Clarkson, I think would make a lot of sense. Not really sure what's going on in Utah this offseason. But the Celtics could maybe take a look into someone like that. I mean, he's a player that would be perfect, the type of offensive player that the Celtics really were missing in the NBA Finals. And while he's not a great defender, you know, I think he's a plus defender and I think wouldn't be as poor of a defender as a Duncan Robinson. So, you know, the Celtics could could bring him in with that trade exception and, you know, bring him in off the bench and he can kind of be that sixth man, that, you know, bench scorer that you can have the confidence that he will give you 12 to 15 a night 
you know, I think that obviously Derek White, Grant Williams have the ability to be those types of players, but I think you definitely want some guys who are like, you know that they can get 15 any given night. So I would love it if they uh, take a look at Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Kevin Herter is also another name that I think that the Celtics could look at as well. Um, Terrence Ross, I think, could also make sense as he's a guy with one year left on his contract. The Celtics could just bring him in, tell him that, look, your job is to shoot and score off the bench, and that's it. Um, but I think it might be hard to find that guy who can knock down threes and play great defense. You know, the Celtics might be limited with some of the guys that I mentioned, especially defensively, but I think that, look, defense is not really what the Celtics are worried about right now. It's offense and guys who can score and score consistently because that's kind of what the downfall was in the finals that, you know, sure, your star players had some issues with turnovers, but you didn't really have someone on the bench that you could look to to be like, okay, we know this person can get hot and knock down two or three threes in a row. So I think those are some guys that I think would make a lot of sense. So um, we'll take, obviously, we will keep you all updated as free agency kicks up, um, starts at the end of the week. I don't expect that the Celtics are going to be, you know, out in front, you know, signing two or three guys in the first day um, of free agency. Um, you know, they're probably not going to be spending as much money as maybe some other teams that have a lot of money to spend. But I think, you know, they'll probably wait and see for some good deals that can come through. Um, obviously, with that going on, there will be Summer League that the Celtics will be playing in a number of their players who were kind of end-of-the-bench guys this year. Sam Hauser, Matt Ryan, Broderick Thomas. Um, those are some guys that will probably probably be playing in Summer League. Juwan Begarin. The Celtics' second-round pick last year uh, will also be playing, I believe. And then the Celtics will also have some uh, college or like college free agents or like G League guys who are just going to play for the team. Uh, Travion Williams, who played for Purdue last season. Uh, Jordan Bone, who played at Tennessee a number of years ago, is actually a former teammate of Grant Williams. Um, so it sounds like both of them will be playing for the Celtics in Summer League as well. So you can catch the Celtics in Summer League. Their first game is Saturday the 9th of July against Miami. And then the Celtics have three other games, July 11th against Milwaukee. And no, Giannis will not be playing in that. It's just, you know, the young guys and the bench guys. And then Tuesday the 12th, Celtics will play the Golden State Warriors or finals rematch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then... The Celtics will have their last game July 14th against Memphis, and then after that, there will be like a, a postseason and then like championships. So I think there's each team plays four games, and then depending on how they do, they then will be you know placed into like a bracket and then see how far they go. So I think uh, that will be interesting. It'll be fun to watch some of the younger guys get an opportunity. So I think. With that being said, we're going to move on, talk about the Revolution, who had did have a game last night, although no one scored a scoreless draw with uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps in British Columbia. Revs were on the road, played to a 0-0 tie, which is kind of kind of going to be pretty boring, but I think, you know, in soccer, you're going to see that a lot. But 
Um, I don't think the Revolution played a very bad game. You know, I think that they had a lot of opportunities um, watching the highlights. Um, and then, you know, watching some of the game, they had some good opportunities. Uh, Carlos Hill, Gustavo Bowe had some chances. Uh, Dylan Barrero had some chances. I really like the way that he's played um, since he's come in. He's really, I think, given the Revolution a Tejan Buchanan-like player um, who really has been able to jump in offensively, get involved, have some good chemistry with guys like Gustavo Bowe, um, and I think is really helping to kind of lessen the blow of losing an Adam Buxa, a guy who I think at times over the last two years has been the Revolution's best offensive player. And I know that, yeah, you could say Carlos Hill, he won MLS MVP last year, that is legitimate, but, you know, Buxa just goal scoring is so dangerous. So um, it's good to see that Barrero is getting himself involved and the Revs are creating chances with him um, and Carlos Hill. So that's been good to see. You know, too bad they couldn't get a goal last night, but you will take a road point. You will take a road point with the Revolution kind of in the spot that they're in, you know, not necessarily at the top of the East, but I think anytime you can get points, you are going to take it. And honestly, the Revolution are not in a bad spot. They're only five points out from the top of the Eastern Conference. So obviously it could be better, but I think it also could be worse. Uh, for the team. And then also some revolution news. Uh, Matt Turner officially joining Arsenal uh, yesterday. So obviously it's a, it was kind of sad for some Revs fans, but I think um, it's just a great opportunity for Matt. And I think we all wish him uh, the best for his move over there uh, to England. But I think honestly, the Revs are in good hands with uh, Georgi Petrovic. I thought that he played really well last night, made some good saves. And I think you know, it's, it sucks to lose someone like Matt Turner, but I think uh, Petrovic is a guy that just is so talented and I think should be here uh, in New England for a good period of time. Uh, but I think the Revolution really are not missing much of a beat in terms of goaltending, and that honestly was something I was concerned about, you know, when we first learned about Matt's uh, rumored move to the Premier League. Um, but I think that Georgie's pit fit in really well and I think has given the Revolution chances to win every game that he has played. Um, so that is definitely good to see. Uh, the Revolution will play their next game next weekend at Gillette Stadium, 7.30 start against FC Cincinnati on Sunday, July 3rd. So the Revolution, you know, as I said, in the playoff structure, five points out of first place in the Eastern Conference. The Revolution sit in sixth place. There's seven teams that go to the playoffs. So the Revolution in there in that sixth spot. And then FC Cincinnati, the team in the seventh spot, the Revs will play next next weekend. So I think with that being said, I'll move on and talk about the Patriots, who training camp's uh, coming up faster than uh, people might think. I think it's literally a month a month from today. The Patriots will open training camp to the public. I think July 19th might be the first reporting date for rookies, and then I think the 26th is for veterans. But then obviously you'll have first practice sessions available that you can go see on the 27th. I am hoping to uh, personally make my way make my make my way out there for the first time uh, this summer. Never been to Patriots training camp. Really hoping to get out there, um, but. Obviously, some news for the Patriots. They have signed 
all three of their uh, draft picks. Cole Strange signing his rookie deal, Tyquan Thornton, and Bailey Zapp. So all three of them under contract. Patriots have signed all three of their first, or all th- or the, the three remaining draft picks that they had not signed yet. So um, good stuff for all three of those guys. David Andrews did uh, restructure his deal, which I think allowed the Patriots to sign some of these guys. So good stuff for David Andrews, you know, a guy that just a great guy, you know, and a guy that will do anything for the team. And um, he's a guy that definitely we, we as Patriots fans and me myself just have loved having around this team. You know, he's one of those guys that I think we don't really see a lot in terms of, you know, what he does. You know, he's not a guy that's putting up crazy stats. You know, he's an offensive lineman, but I think it's really has really been a huge part of this Patriots, you know, core or whatever you want to call it. And I think that he's a guy that really showed his loyalty to the organization when he re-signed last, last year. Um, and I think really has done a great job working with Mac Jones. Some of the younger guys is kind of bridging the gap between kind of the, the old guard with, you know, Brady, McCourty, or, well, Brady obviously isn't here anymore, but, you know, like the McCourty's, the Hightower's, well, actually, Hightower's still on sign. That's a bad example again. Um, but like the McCordys, the guys who have been here for a long period of time, you know, Matt Slater, James White. Um, and so I think David's done a great job kind of bridging the gap between those guys and then kind of the, the newer, younger guys with um, Mac Jones and, you know, some of the exciting first or second year players that the Patriots have. Um, so that was good to see. And then the other great news, the Patriots are bringing back their uh, red throwback jerseys. And you may remember these jerseys from a couple of, like, memorable Patriot games over the years. I believe that they wore these jerseys on Thanksgiving a number of years ago. Ironically, the Patriots are playing on Thanksgiving this year. Uh, so you might see those on Thanksgiving night when the Patriots play the Minnesota Vikings. I believe they also wore these jerseys in, I think it was the 2010 season, which I believe was the 50th anniversary of the um, AFL. So I think that's why they wore them that year. Randy Moss was still with the team. I believe they wore those jerseys uh, when they beat the Titans in that snow game. It was like it was like 59 to nothing was that game. I believe that they wore those jerseys in that game. So uh, good to see those jerseys back in action. Those are just awesome. It's just I love when the Patriots wear red, wear something different than kind of their usual uh, uniforms. So that's kind of all the Patriots stuff. Obviously, any more news before training camp will keep you guys updated, but I think I'm really excited for um, this next season for this Patriots team. So now that we have covered the uh, Boston sports teams, we're going to get into some other kind of uh, national stuff, if you will. Um, obviously, the Stanley Cup was awarded last night. The Colorado Avalanche beating the Lightning in Game Six, two to one. This series ended up being a pretty exciting, um, pretty exciting series. The last three games, all one-goal games, high intensity, high drama, exactly what you want um, in the Stanley Cup final. So, obviously, congrats to the Colorado Avalanche. Um, just a team that finally was able to put it together in the playoffs. I think, you know, obviously we've seen them dominate the regular season in the NHL over the last couple of years. 
um, but they've come up short in the playoffs. So I think the ability to finally break through and win just, I think, it must be an awesome feeling for guys like McKinnon and Landeskog, um, who have been with this franchise their entire their entire careers and gone through you know the tough playoff losses. Um, and they also have gone through some bad years, too. You know, this is a Colorado team that a number of years ago, they were the worst team in the league. And uh, Joe Sackick really did a tremendous job building this team up and then, you know, making some great moves at the trade deadline. You know, Josh Manson, Arturi Lekkonen, two guys that were tremendous pieces for um, the Avalanche and winning the Cup. So, again, you know, huge congrats to them. Congrats to some other guys or a bunch of guys on that team who have been playing for years and finally got a chance to win the cup. Um, you know, Nazem Kadri has been around for a while. Darcy Kemper, um, Andrew Cogliano in his 15th year, finally getting to win a cup. You know, Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson, two guys who have been around forever. Um, I think just for me, it was really special to see both Eric and Jack Johnson in particular because those are two guys that have been in the league for so long, high draft picks. You know, Eric was the first pick in 2006. And, you know, I think just like all the expectation that comes with being, you know, a high pick, a number one pick, and just being able to kind of grind your whole career and maybe things don't go exactly the way that you want them to go person or, you know, on the ice and statistics wise. But I think just to have the ability to keep going and, you know, still have that drive to continue to better yourself every single day and, you know, winning a cup. Just uh, there's something about winning that cup that it just, uh, even when the Bruins don't win it, it still kind of makes me a little emotional because it's like, you know how hard these guys have worked, you know, and not even just this season, but just their whole careers. You know, Jack Johnson, another guy, was a high draft pick and, he's a guy that I think throughout his career has been through a lot of stuff and um, it's just like it's just special you know it's just so special for those guys who you know winning winning a championship is just it'll stick with you the rest of your life and I think not just winning the Stanley Cup but winning any championship is just so special and you know you just see how hard these guys work and then you just see the emotion. You see all the emotion come out. Um, you know, seeing guys lifting the cup is just, uh, yeah, watching that stuff uh, brings a tear to my eye every single time because um, it's just so special um, and just amazing how well Kale, Kale McCarr played. I mean, you know, we talk about sometimes on this podcast thinking about players who truly transcend the game and you know, make you realize how special or how special they are as athletes and what they can do, and then how lucky we are to be able to witness the players playing at the highest of their abilities and playing unbelievably well at, you know, young ages. And I think, you know, Kale put on a, a playoff run for, for the books. You know, he's a guy that has not played the position like that. I mean, he's played that position unlike anyone I've ever seen. You know, obviously I'm not someone that can sit here and say, oh, I've seen Bobby Orr play, but like seeing him play is just tremendous. He is uh, unlike any player I've ever seen. Um, so obviously 
rightfully so, winning the Conn Smythe, leading uh, NHL defenseman in points. I believe he had almost 30 points in the playoffs, which is just, you know, ridiculous. And especially ridiculous for a defenseman. 29 points. He had 29 points in the playoffs. Uh, third only to McDavid and Dreisaitl um, in playoff scoring. But, I mean, 29 points, even for a forward, is preposterous. For a defenseman, it's just, you know, otherworldly. So, uh, just tremendous congratulations to the Colorado Avs organization. Um, you know, obviously, credit to Tampa Bay. They played a really solid series. Um team that had won the Stanley Cup the last two years, you know, they're not a team that I anticipate it's going to be, is going to be going anywhere. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, I don't think they're going anywhere. I think they're still the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. You know, it'll be interesting to see the next couple of years as, you know, the cap situation becomes a little bit more, a little bit more interesting for them as they're going to have a number of key free agents um, that are up next, um, not not this summer, but next season, next summer. So, again, tremendous, um, tremendous congrats to the Colorado Avalanche for winning the cup. A couple, a couple of other NHL notes: um, Barry Trotz, uh, I think, will not coach this upcoming season. It was rumored that he would be maybe taking over in Winnipeg, but he is not so he's stepping away for the season um i think to to be with family and obviously you know that's a respectable reason you know i think that obviously coaching can take a lot out of you so uh, you know happy trails to barry if he does choose to you know stay away from the game for good you know that's okay if he does want to return that's also okay so um the panthers also hiring paul maurice last week to be their new head coach. So, you know, be interesting to see what he can do in Florida with the team that um, is coming off winning the President's Trophy last season. Uh, Zidane Chara is still unsure about his future. Uh, seems like he will likely decide it later this summer. Um, and Chicago beating Springfield to win the AHL championship. Obviously, the Springfield Thunderbirds. <laughs> former employer of uh, Eric Bellier, who will be on the show uh, later this week. So uh, they make it to the Calder Cup final, but Chicago wins it. So I think we'll move on, take a little look at uh, some Major League Baseball notes. Obviously, the Red Sox are on fire. A crazy game yesterday in Anaheim. Both uh, Angels and Mariners had a... Uh, both of their benches clear. It was kind of a wild scene as eight players, including, or eight, eight players and managers, like both managers were, were ejected. So kind of a crazy scene there. Um, the Astros getting a combined no-hitter the other night against the Yankees, ironically. And then the Yankees actually end the hitless drought. They actually had 16 innings that they did not have a hit in both of those games or both of those games combined, um, but then they're able to get some runs and uh, win in a walk-off win last night. Bryce Harper is out indefinitely after taking a pitch to the thumb, broke his thumb, um, and Wander Franco has returned to the Rays after 23 games on the injured list. So we'll take a quick look 
at the standings. You know, obviously, as I said at the top, the Red Sox are still 11 games out of first place, which is just, it's just crazy to say. And considering how well they've played, I mean, they've won seven straight, eight of 10, 11 of 13, 32 of 44. And they're still 11 games back. It's just crazy. So uh, the Yankees still leading Major League Baseball 53-20 and 20 with their record. Red Sox are 11 games back in second place. In the American League Central, the Twins with a two-game lead over the Guardians, who the Red Sox just swept this weekend. Houston with a 10.5-game lead over the Texas Rangers for first place in the American League West in the National League. The Mets still lead the pace in the National League. They lead their division by five games over the Braves. The Brewers are in first place in the Central, a one-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals. And then the Dodgers in first place in the National League West, a two-game lead over the Padres. In the wildcard standings, the Red Sox actually have the top wildcard position at the moment and then are followed by Tampa Bay and Toronto with Cleveland two games back of the last wild card. In the National League, you got the Padres in that first position, followed by Braves and the Cardinals and the Giants, a half game back of that last wild card. So now we're going to talk about the NBA draft, which happened last week. A bit of a uh, surprise at the top as Orlando selects uh, Paolo Bancaro as the number one pick out of Duke. It was rumored that Jabari Smith out of Auburn was probably going to be the number one pick, but the Magic um, taking Bancaro, I mean, I think that he's going to be a really good player in the NBA. I mean, I think he's got physical tools. I think can guard pretty well, has, has good size, and um, has good athleticism. You know, Jabari Smith, I think, is also going to be an excellent pro. Um, Chet Holmgren. I don't think I'm really necessarily sold on him. It's just how thin he is. But I think that Oklahoma City is in a good position. And I think it's a good spot for him because I think he can get the most playing time. And I think, you know, they're a team that I think is really still developing and trying to find like a good core core group of players. Um, so I think it's a good spot for him. Um, Keegan Murray drafted fourth, and then Jaden Ivey closing out the top five as he was taken by the Pistons. I'll be honest, I really like what the Pistons are doing as they had picked uh, Cade Cunningham number one last year and then Jaden Ivey this year. So two guys that I think will create a really good <laughs> a really good backcourt combination. I really like that pick for the Pistons. Um, some other picks here, uh, the Spurs taking Jeremy Sochan with uh, the ninth overall pick, really high potential, high motor guy, uh, who's the sixth man for Baylor this past year. So I really liked um, that pick. You know, it's another kind of potential pick. Uh, Johnny Davis going 10th to the Wizards. I really like his game. Curious to see what he can do. Um, I really liked Charlotte's selection of Mark Williams, uh, center out of Duke. I really like what he can do defensively because um, I think Charlotte's a team that can use uh, versatile defenders. Um, Ochai Abaji out of Kansas was taken 14th by the Cavs. I really like that pick. I really like what he can do shooting the ball. Um, Walker Kessler out of Auburn was picked by Memphis, and then I believe he was 
I think he, I thought he was traded in Minnesota. Yes, they did. Um, I like his game. He's a really good defender. Uh, played really well at Auburn this past year. Uh, Wendell Moore Jr., I really like that pick for the Mavericks. I believe he is going to be a late-round pick, but I think it's going to be a really, really good player. Um, I think just a really solid all-around player. Um, yeah, solid offensively, really good defensively. I really like what he can do. So I think, honestly, Dallas got a steal at 26. So curious to see what he can do. Um, so obviously, you know, Celtics with the pick of J.D. Davison. I really like the pick. You know, I think at the moment he probably was kind of the best available there. Um, you know, obviously it's a little bit liberal when you say the word, when you say the words best available uh, late in the second round. But I do think the Celtics made um, a really solid selection. So I'm excited to see uh, what he can do in the summer league, which will start soon. Um, just some other NBA notes, obviously free agency. The negotiating period will start on Thursday evening. Um, obviously there's a lot being thrown around with Kyrie Irving. He has, I think it's on the 29th that he can opt out or opt in to the last year of his player option. It's going to be interesting to see because I think he does want to be traded or that is like appears to be that's what's going on um and i think that he does have a list of teams uh that he would like to go to if he can't come to an agreement with the nets um lakers clippers are on that list uh dallas i believe is on that list i think miami is too so i'd be curious to see what goes on with the nets with him and then kevin durant if he wants to be moved potentially um, there were a number of trades in during the NBA draft. Um, there were some players that got moved, the Knicks sending Kemba Walker uh, to the Pistons in a three-team trade. And then Steve Clifford has returned uh, for a second run at the at coaching the uh, Charlotte Hornets. I almost call them the New Orleans Hornets, uh, the Charlotte Hornets. So uh, Steve Clifford returns to coach that team. So we're going to close with some NFL notes. I believe that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, the offseason plan that he had put in place is still on track, that he'll throw soon. I'm curious to see what kind of goes on with him and Trey Lance. You know, Lance is kind of the guy of the future. Kind of curious to see what they do with Garoppolo if maybe he gets traded um, because I think Cleveland's a team that could certainly use a quarterback with the whole Deshaun Watson thing. I don't really think that they should expect to have him be available to be available to play at any point this year. And then, you know, Baker Mayfield, that whole mess. So I feel like Cleveland could be a team that could possibly be in the market for a guy like Garoppolo should he become available. Um, Demario Davis signing a one-year extension with the Saints. So he will return... Um, and then a couple of kind of sad announcements from the Baltimore Ravens organization. Uh, Ravens linebacker Jalen Ferguson um, died at age 26. And then um, and NFL legend Tony Saragusa, who you may know better as the Goose, he was a NFL uh, like sideline reporter for Fox for many years. He also passed away at the age of 55. So um, they our thoughts and our, our prayers are with the Ravens organization as they lost uh, two tremendous men 
Um, so I think that probably will be it for, for our NFL notes. Um, I think that that will probably do it for, for, for me this week. So uh, thanks to everyone for, for tuning in this week, and we'll uh, be back with you guys on Friday talking to um, Eric Belly. I'm really excited for that conversation, um, as Eric and I obviously were, uh, went to Springfield College for, for two years together. So I'm looking forward to that conversation later this week. Um, as always, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates about the pod. All right, everyone, have a good rest of your week, and we will talk to you on Friday.